I would love to have you take your Bibles and uh, head with me to 2 Corinthians, where we will jump into our study here in God's Word in just a couple of minutes. 2 Corinthians, end of chapter 1 and into chapter 2 is where we're going to be going here. Yes, what Craig is alluding to is um, something I would love to have you pray with me and for me about. Uh, we all are caught up, I think, on a pretty regular basis with the work of Willis and Esme Newman, who are our missionaries in the Philippines. Uh, they are working on the, um, really organizing a Bible college type setting under the auspices of Faith Seminary here in Tacoma. Both Willis and Esme are our adjunct faculty with, with uh, Faith and long-time relationship there, getting a degree-granting institution started down there in the Philippines. Willis has been quite sick recently in and out of the hospital and uh, sepsis and things like that and just got out of the hospital again recently. I'm going to be going down there to teach a class for them. So I'm leaving this Thursday morning. Uh, Eight o'clock is when I'll leave my house and uh, get down to, well, Manila and then Davao, which is on the island of Mindanao. And um, next Sunday morning, I'll be preaching in a church uh, 15 hours ahead. If you're going to pray for me, just think... Whatever time it is, minus 15, and that's my day. So right about Saturday evening dinner, I'll be preaching. The the church I'll be in next Sunday morning, just an interesting work of God's grace, a more liberal-ish congregation with a lot of history, but, but a surge back toward biblical Christianity and interest in God's word. Enough to get a rebuke from a more liberal denomination saying, what are you guys doing? Uh, getting saved and all that. So anyway, it's, it's a kind of a new thing. And, and I get to preach there. And I've been told, you know, here's what we'd like you to, to deal with in the text and so on. Wonderful, uh, exactly what we would do here. But please be aware that there are people in the congregation who don't know Christ, but they're good religious people. So like, fantastic. What a great opportunity will that be so that's that's sunday and then starting monday i'll be teaching a class on christian leadership uh, with uh, newman ministries so that'll happen through friday a bit of a graduation type event and then maybe another preaching moment and then the next monday i come home so it's really uh, short if you think about the distance traveled but um anyway pray there's a few flights um you know, from here, going that way, you cross the international dateline, so you leave here Thursday, get there Saturday, you know how that is, and then coming back that Monday, the 14th, I will leave Manila uh, uh, just about noon, and I'll get to SeaTac about two in the afternoon, same day, just a few more hours in between <laughs> than that, so you do all the crash course catch up on, on, that, on that Monday, but the Lord knows all about that, and Look forward to encouraging Willis and Esme. Things are very difficult physically and, of course, with ministry elements going on. And um, he sent me an email this morning. Uh, This was uh, text-worthy, but it came as an email. He says, Jay, the only bad thing are floods everywhere. You may need to stay up to date on how to dodge them. Willis. (laughs) So... I don't know what that means, uh, if the teaching site or the hotel or wherever we're staying. Or I, I don't know. What do you mean, a dodge? And I don't know. But there we go. I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Andy, I'll be going to your, your, home, your home country. Outstanding. Good. Looking forward to all of that. Appreciate your prayers as, as we head that direction. Of course, I'll miss the next two Sundays here. That's why the other guys will be filling in, as you'll, as you'll see. But I'll be back with you after that. Well, I'm excited about the text we get to to deal with today, and I I want to take a couple of minutes to to step us in, uh, to to let you know where we're going, all right? So so 2 Corinthians, my goodness sakes, we've been working on this for a couple of weeks now, uh, three or four, and working our way through all 13 chapters. You remember last week that I mentioned to you that in 2 Corinthians, there's kind of like like a three-layer uh, thing going on here, okay? So the big picture, of course, is, is Paul's love for the gospel, the story of Jesus that the Bible tells, his death in, on the cross in our place as our sin bearer. So Jesus dying on the cross, rising from the dead, uh, ascending to heaven, and then coming again someday. And, and the, the call for us to know Christ as our Savior, as we trust him and him alone as our Savior from sin. That's really the big overarching picture. Paul's love for the gospel and his longing to see that message protected and proclaimed. Now, 
a step beneath that is a lot of Second Corinthians covers this topic, and that is the Apostle Paul himself. You remember me saying to you that the Apostle Paul was what I like to call a capital A apostle, as opposed to a small A apostle, one like a missionary or sent. Though there's capital A apostle, a certain number of them, as Ephesians two twenty tells us, that were were those people who were the foundation of the church, that being laid on the apostles and prophets, Christ the cornerstone. The apostle Paul was one of those capital A apostles, and here, in this case, in this church, he's being assaulted. His character is being uh, uh, spoken against, and and he's going to defend that. Not just on a personal level, but he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so he's going he's gonna to deal with that. So the capital A apostle, that's the second issue, really. And then there are the other elements along the way. Last week, we spoke about some communication issues. Today, there's some leadership things we're going to see. But that's that third layer down. But never lose sight of the others. You know, the big picture, the gospel, so important. That's why we're even talking about all of this. And then Paul, and then the, the specific issue at hand. Now, again, to, to help us think about this, uh, Christian leaders, Christian leaders, we're going to see his heart as a leader today. This isn't a leadership seminar. And as I'll say in a minute, it's not a parenting seminar. Though I want to talk about both. Because we're going to see Paul's heart as a leader And that same heart is the heart that Christian leaders should have. And I would suggest, not just in church settings, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about leadership. If you're a Christian, if you would name the name of Christ, then in any place where you are a person of influence, God would have you to function as a Christian leader. Okay? Now, a couple books on my shelf, of course. Uh, Being Leaders, Aubrey Malfors writes a lot on church-type leadership, but this, this book in particular, he says, he's describing what are the distinctive characteristics of Christian leaders. So if you're a Christian, you lead anywhere, a secular setting, workplace, it doesn't really matter. There are ways in which you should lead that would mark you as a Christian because of your core values and your worldview, the way you interact with people. So Malber, Malfers would talk about a number of things related to that. Um, Alexander Strauch speaks a lot about church-type leaders. This book is called Leading with Love, a Christian leader's guide to that. I'm going to quote some of this a little bit later. But, but principles of, of leadership that should, be, that should characterize Christians in their influence over others. And then, again, this isn't a parenting seminar, but leaders are not just in the workplace, Parents are called to be leaders in their home. And I want to make an application point here. It's not, the text is not about parenting. It's about leaders, the heart of a leader. I would like you to think in terms of application, in terms of leadership in the home. This is a book published in 2016 that I was very excited about. Uh, It's called The Collapse of Parenting. And this this writer, Leonard Sachs, is, is just, I made a number of references to this when this first came out. And I'm going to talk about it for a minute now. If you'll indulge me, um, Leonard Sachs begins his, his introduction before he even gets into the main point of the book. His introduction is entitled Parents Adrift. And he's talking here about the shifts in parenting that have not been for the good of our families or our nation. The shifts in parenting in the last 20 years or so. Now, Leonard Sachs, as he'll describe here, um, how do, why are we listening to him? He says, well, first of all, I'm a family physician. He spent 19 years as a family physician, family practice. Um, did his uh, MD at MIT in Massachusetts. After uh, 19 years as a practicing family physician, he was so disturbed by what he saw in his office that he went and got a PhD in counseling psychology also from MIT, and he has spent the years that follow working with families on how to raise kids, okay? So his introduction, parents adrift here, he says, and I quote just a little part of this, he says, uh, after a three-year residence in family medicine, I practiced for 19 years in the Maryland suburbs of Washington, D.C. I then relocated to Pennsylvania. My primary sources for this book are more than 90,000 office visits I conducted in my role as a physician from 89 until, at this point, uh, 2006. He said, I've seen parents, teenagers, children, wide variety of backgrounds. 
the profound changes in American life over the past quarter century have witnessed firsthand the collapse of parenting. Well, stay tuned. I'll say a bit more about him in a minute. He wrote a couple other books. Um, Boys Adrift, 2007. Girls on the Edge, 2010. And 2005, he wrote Why Gender Matters. Really a good book. Really a good book. I recommend a lot of books. Uh, this is one I it would be at the top of my list. Interestingly, I don't know his faith position. Uh, he, he, I, I keep thinking, buddy, if you don't know Jesus, you're, you're danger close. Um, but but, the, but the, the, the core values that are here are Word of God type core values, and I really like that book, but more on it in a minute. Now, what I want to do today is, is want to read the text and, and look at it together and pray together in a moment, but I want you to be thinking through the lenses that I just described. Where do you influence other people? And you do. You do. You, you influence others. Some of you in more formal settings. Uh, September, we noted nearly 40 in our broader church family involved in education in some way. Okay? Um, families, parents, you're leading you're leading. You're to be a leader. So I just would like to think about this from church setting, family, etc. And, and we'll press into that in a minute here. But please, please listen not only to the heart of Paul, but to what, what, what that would mean to us in our roles as leaders today. So pray with me, if you would, please, as we do this. Our Father, thank you so much for the privilege of opening your, your word together today. Thank you for the Apostle Paul and for his example as a leader, as he so transparently lays out his heart and in, deals with the specific issues in front of him at that time, it, opportunities for us to learn. Would you help us? Would you help us as well, even in dealing with this particular text, to keep the bigger issues in mind, our, our need for Christ at every turn, our love of the gospel? and our, our need for Jesus every day to shape us and mold us and those that we lead, that you would do the same for them. So would you help us now in your word, in Jesus' name, amen. So your Bibles are open. Uh, sermon notes in front of you as well. Uh, a couple of items I'll comment on in that review section, bullet point number two. You remember we have said in the last several weeks, the Apostle Paul had this long and often stormy relationship with the church at Corinth, you'll recall. Uh, things were difficult there, not everybody in the church, but there were enough detractors in the church and enough difficulty. We saw it in chapter, uh, well, all of <laughs> 1 Corinthians, really when we studied through that book several years ago, a lot of difficulties, a lot of difficulties. In 2 Corinthians, we're back at it again. A stormy relationship, certainly. Um, I'll let you read that third bullet point and on into the section called today's text. Uh, I've said much of this already. You look at your notes, you see there are three headings. And I put all of them with the, with the framework saying Christian leaders. And again, I don't mean Christian leaders in churches, only, though certainly these things apply, but the broader context that I have, I have said already. I want to read then uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, starting verse 23, down through chapter 2, verse 4. Small section, together as we hear God's word. Paul says, but I called God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And if I and I wrote as I did, so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. Okay, there's, there's our preaching text for the day. Uh, so a number of things I'll want us to remember together. You remember we saw last week uh, that what was going on in the church. There's a specific reason for Paul to be talking like this. And we saw back in chapter 1, verse 15, Paul had made a plan to come again to Corinth. He'd been there before, year and a half. He'd spent there back in 51, 52, uh, vested deeply in this church. 
um, wrote, of course, 1 Corinthians, two other letters that we don't have in our Bibles. God saw fit not to see that we would have those. And on, an, on another moment before this, obviously, Paul had made another visit that he calls a painful visit. He had, he had come. It wasn't that it hadn't gone well. It's there was a lot of painful things to address. So he calls it a painful visit, and he doesn't explain it, which means the readers and he knew exactly what he was talking about. I made up my mind not to have another painful visit. There has been one. So he's made a plan to come back, and along the way, uh, as he heard a number of things coming his direction, he makes a change in his travel plans and decides not to go. And that, of course, sparks a controversy in the church as people were quick to run to assume the worst of him. Wishy-washy guy says one thing, does another, says he's coming, doesn't come. I mean, the Apostle Paul, his words are, you know, his letters are weighty. And he shows up in person, he's really not that much to look at. A lot of things were really, they said that, a lot of, a lot of fur flying. And so he makes a decision to change his travel plans, and they're kind of all over him for that. And that was the substance that we looked at last week. So now he's going to talk about that for a little bit. Last week's sermon, of course, dealt with up to verse 22. But I I, I come to verse 23 then under my heading here, as you see in front of you, Christian leaders seek the ultimate good of those they serve. That's what he's after is their ultimate good, not their temporary happiness today. They may not even be, they're not happy with them. That's fine. Christian leaders, Paul, Paul in this case, is seeking their ultimate good by what he does. Okay, so look with me then at 23, 24. Keep your sermon notes handy. Paul says, uh, I call God to witness against me. Uh, It was to spare you that I refrain from coming. Now, I want to say, Paul is giving them an explanation here that I don't think he owes them. Okay, I don't think he has to do this. I mentioned that under this section called today's text. I don't think Paul has to explain this. The fact that he's, a, he's an apostle and he could change his travel plans. Do you mean to tell me you have to go to everybody who heard you might travel and explain every switch along the way? Well, no, I don't think he owed them this, but he's going to do it. He's doing it because they, you know, they're busy, enough of them are busy chewing him up over it. But he's going to explain. I don't think he owes it to him. He, he should be able, he's a big boy. He should be able to say, I made a change of plans without having everybody go, well, I know why. Oh, for goodness sakes. Uh, No, you don't. Uh, But he's going to tell them. Now, the phrase he uses at the beginning of verse 23 is a formal phrase. It's a courtroom phrase. I call God to witness against me. There's a formality. There's a touch of formality in the terms that are used here that are very much right out of a court of law where a person would call a witness to the stand in in a court case. I call as a witness now, Mr. and Mrs. Jones. Well, in this case, God. Isn't that, isn't that impressive? He's going to be a witness, and Paul calls the witness. God knows my heart. None of the rest of y'all do. Okay? I call God as my witness, courtroom setting, and God knows exactly what's going on inside of me. And so he, he goes to the highest level to say, in, in formal tone, to, 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 to draw to the minds of the readers a courtroom setting and he says, I call God as my witness. Here's, the, here's why I didn't come. Here's the reason for my travel plans. It was to spare you that I didn't come. That's a very interesting thing. We're going to hear more about why and what's going on inside of him. And well, at least I think so. And what's going on inside of the church. But he said, it was to spare you. It was to spare you that I didn't come. We already had a painful visit. I didn't want to make another one. Now, verse 23, more on that in a minute. Uh, there's another uh, interesting phrase here. He says, not that we lord it over your faith. Uh, The the expression that Paul uses here, to lord it over, and I'm going to use some terms technically here, and it's important for you to understand what I mean. You'll hear these words used in other places and other ways, but I'm, I'm wanting to draw a difference between authoritarian leadership, I'm using that in a negative way, and authoritative leadership, I'm using that in a good way. Okay, authoritarian leadership, some of us have had experience with in the past and, are, and have run from it. Authoritarian, I'm meaning by that, because I said so. Possibly angry. Um, pronouncements. Do it because I said. 
kind of that, that angry harshness that people say, oh, I don't want to do that. Unfortunately, often people run from authoritarian leadership, and they, they, because they don't like anything to do with that, they run toward what Sachs would, would describe as a more of a therapeutic approach, which means nobody's really in charge here. How do you feel? As a leader, I mean, you're, the leader is saying that. Or, as in, in his horror stories, it's what a, a parent would say to the kids. Well, kids, what do you guys all want for dinner? Oh, I don't mean when they're older and they want to have pizza or tacos. But I mean when they're younger. And they're saying, well, kids, what do you want? You guys want to have, like, I don't know, healthy food or, or um, Twinkies and, and ice cream? What is it? What, what would you like? And the kids say, well, Twinkies and ice cream. And you go, fine. And I, I'm, I'm using an example here, one that, that Sachs starts his book with. This is the opening paragraph. Okay? He's making his point. Parents adrift. I, I'm, I'm just wanting to draw the difference between authoritarianism and authoritative, which means somebody's in charge. That's a thought. So he says this, he's in his doctor's office before his counseling practice. He says, I knew what I wanted to say, but I didn't, want to, I didn't say it. So he describes these people. They have two daughters, 14-year-old. They brought the 14-year-old in to see me. So mom and dad and 14-year-old are in his office. He says, as a doctor, his quick exam, he recognized immediately the signs of malnutrition in this child, 14 years old. He's thinking, huh, I wonder why. Why is it evident, I mean, physically evident malnutrition? Or he's, he right away knows, okay, this isn't good. So he asks, huh, this and this, these are signs of vitamin deficiency. I see this frequently from people who don't eat the following good things for you. What does this child eat? Well, mom says, uh, her father and I eat very healthy. But this young lady refuses to eat anything healthy. To be honest, pretty much right now, the only thing she'll eat are French fries. The 14-year-old here interrupts. McDonald's French fries, she says. Well, thank you, honey. That's really good in a doctor's office. McDonald's French fries, pizza, uh, chicken nuggets, and potato chips. That's pretty much what she eats, Mom said, except for Italian ices and ice cream. Doctor says, well, what about the following? And begins to list other potentially healthy uh, options. She said, oh, no, she won't eat any of those things. And his, the part that he says, I was thinking it and didn't say it was, she would if she were hungry enough. Now, some of us were raised in a different day where parents were free to direct the choices of children. All the grandparents of the room say amen. Uh, unfortunately, and this is what Sachs is addressing, and again, I, I, I see this flowing from the heart of the Apostle Paul. Leaders leading for the good, for the good of the, I really want the good of those I'm serving. He would say, and Sachs would say, if you're a parent, that means you've got to give direction to some things that are important for the child. Uh, he's going to point out the difference between discussing everything and, and maybe giving reasons when a child is older and when a child is two, doing less of that. Again, all the older people in the room say, amen. Child is two, and you say, uh, daddy said, don't do that. And you don't need to get down on one knee and discuss it with a two-year-old as to why or why not. Said two-year-old needs to knock it off. Uh, parents try this. I, you, not picking on any of you. If you do it, I don't see it. I just didn't see it. But I have seen parents in other churches and other settings certainly wanting down. Now look at me, honey. Here's why we don't. The kids kind of squirreling around. Really, all they needed was I said no. Daddy loves you. Papa loves you. Stop it. Don't do that again. And then you move on. Just try to explain it to them. And then we're frustrated because the kid can't listen, right? All the older folks in the room are going, the kid is two. The kid is two. <laughs> Don't explain it. Just tell them. Love them. I didn't mean yell at them. Here the de- here's the deal. Now do it. Now, older, I remember, I remember being in a setting a number of years ago with Josh McDowell. He was, was speaking to about 300 parents, and he was talking about this. He said, one of the biggest mistakes I see in parenting today, this was back in the 90s. He said, I see parents wanting to reason everything out with their younger children, and then by the time they get to teenagers, when you might want to give more reason why, kid doesn't want to listen to you anymore. They just can't figure out why their kid won't listen. He says, well, maybe back then we should have had an authority established where daddy said no. And then when they're 12 and say, but I don't understand why, you can say, well, I'm glad you asked. Or when you're 20. But I can explain a little more about that. Uh, but, but when they're two, not so much. Sachs would say amen to that. Uh, did I tell you you should read this? You, you really should read that. It's really a good book for anybody, any age who 
deals with kids, the collapse of parenting. Now, I'm coming back to the text here. Paul says, I call God to witness against you. It was to spare you. He has their ultimate good in mind such that he will not step away from the conflict. Okay? Stay with me on applying some of these things. On my notes here, I mentioned Paul is not a hard-nosed, in-your-face, conflict-loving leader. He does not love conflict. He doesn't love saying no. He doesn't love getting in their face and saying, we've got a problem here, Houston. He does not love this, but he does it because he loves them. And to be a good leader or a good parent or a good executive or whatever that is uh, in your setting for you personally, if you ignore things you ought not to ignore because you, you're avoiding conflict, that doesn't make you a good leader, okay? You've got to step into those places of conflict. I'm saying um, Paul gives an explanation he doesn't have to get. Now, third bullet point, this is really a big deal. Paul is not addressing here apostasy or theological error. This isn't the book of Galatians where he's going to battle for the gospel and the person of Christ and, the, and what grace is all about. This isn't it. What he's after here is certain behaviors and attitudes. Isn't that interesting? They go, well, Paul, how come you're getting involved in that? Just let those things go. They'll take care of themselves. Paul says, okay, hold on. Time out, Tiger. Not so much. These are worth addressing. No, these are worth my intervention. These are worth it. Uh, attitudes, behavior things. Again, not to say that the older generation had it all right. I'm sure we did not. Did I just put myself in the older generation? Whoa, that's terrifying. I still think of myself as a young married. I know it's been 40 years, but nonetheless, man, uh, old school, certainly, um, we were all raised with the idea that you could say something to a parent that maybe in its wording was okay, but the attitude that went with it wasn't. Uh, some of you, yeah, you, you know what that's like. Okay, you can say that word to me. You can, you can say that. You may not say it with that tone of voice. If you'd say it different, I can hear you. But with that little uh, thing, uh-uh, not going to fly. Okay, Paul here is, is kind of saying that to folks who are addressing him. You know what? This isn't about theology. It's not about that. There's some attitudes here. That's what he was addressing last week. He's going to do it again here. Left unchecked would bear bad fruit. My fourth bullet point here, please get this. And again, authoritative, authoritarian, difference between the two. Paul's style is not a dominating, do what I say type of leadership, but he does have authority from the Lord and he knows how to use it. He has authority to, to, to wield, but he wants to use it without anger, without just smacking people around. That's not what Paul is doing, nor should you in any role of leadership you have. Authority is a, is a precious stewardship from God. And if you whip it around like a bull whip or a 12-gauge shotgun, that's probably not being a good leader. Okay, But nonetheless, there is a responsibility that goes with leadership. Interestingly, a book I mentioned a moment ago from, from Alex Strauch, Leading with Love, and I... I mentioned the title again because of what I'm about to read. No, Alexander Strauch, in writing about church leaders, he's writing about this text, interestingly, which is why I ended up here, leading with love. So please hear Strauch on this text. He says, Paul loved the believers at Corinth, so he acted decisively in discipline. And again, translate this into your setting, uh, leadership or parenting, as you, as you wish. He acted decisively in discipline. He was not mean-spirited or intolerant. The situation called for immediate corrective action to save the church, he says, from moral and spiritual corruption. Listen carefully here, please. Tolerance is not always the appropriate response. He goes on. It is possible to be tolerant of the wrong things. It is possible to tolerate what God does not. Tolerance is not the supreme value. Wow, there is a counter-cultural statement if ever I heard one. Thank you, Alexander Strauch. Sometimes in whatever setting of leadership we find ourselves, we end up being just more patient, more patient, more patient, more patient, thinking we're doing a good thing by being patient, but, but we confuse patience. It, suddenly it becomes inaction. Suddenly it becomes lethargy. Suddenly it becomes passivity. So patience is wonderful. That doesn't mean patience is not at odds with taking decisive actions to correct a situation. So Strauch is just pointing it out. He says, indeed, a false inflated view of tolerance will destroy a church or a nation, and I would add, or a family. He or she will grow out of it. He or she will grow out of it. He or she will grow out of it. 
whatever it is. Well, dear friends, uh, yes, 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 and maybe you should address it now. For their good, for their good, to shape a heart, see, to shape a love, maybe you should address it. So, Strauch, I I 100%, I, I think that's a good comment in a book called Leading with Love. Leading with Love, yes, means there's a limit to what you put up with. I think that's good. So this whole section then, verses 23 and 24, I call God as a witness. It was to spare you that I refrained. Oh boy, that doesn't mean he was passive. What Paul did is he wrote a letter instead. He sent it with his boy Titus, okay? He sent somebody else. Paul knew it was time for him not to go. And he wrote it out to avoid a painful visit. He sent it with Titus. You go deal with, he stepped back himself, sent someone else in. Huh, more on that in a minute. So, he seeks the ultimate good. Christian leaders seek the ultimate good of those they serve. Paul's an example of that. You turn the page, go to that next item there, verses 1, 2, and 3. Uh, I have it under the heading, Christian leaders sometimes make hard calls. I was deciding whether or not to put the word sometimes in there. I think often uh, Christian leaders, in whatever setting we, te- we, we lead, we have to, there are hard calls to be made. Parents, for sure, about every day of the week. Hard calls about what you do. And I especially press here to chapter 2, verse 1, and my first bullet point. Paul is a thoughtful leader. You read his, his words here. He says, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. Paul is not responding emotionally here. He's thinking about his options. He's made another painful visit. He certainly could just sail in there and do it again. But he says, I made up my mind not to do that. I don't know how long it took him to do that. I don't know if he thought about it for 24 hours or a week or whatever it was. But he, he, he thought of his options. I could go make another painful visit. That was painful. I could do that. But in this case, I don't think I will. I'm not going to make another painful visit. Now, he doesn't really say why not. Well, verses 2 and 3 say something about that. But they don't say if he was avoiding pain for them or if he thought they would listen better to somebody else or if he was avoiding pain for himself, which is a possibility too. Leaders have limits. Huh, that's interesting. Paul says, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. And I'm, I'm, I'm commending that behavior and calling all of us to it in whatever places we lead. To be thoughtful, that is not driven by just emotion. You understand sometimes we wait and we wait and we wait and then there's a moment that comes and what happens? Now you've done it. And there's some kind of an explosion. And again, some of us uh, were raised with or have seen this in other settings and thought, man, that probably wasn't, had a boss maybe that was like that, a spouse that maybe was like that, that, that leads by explosions because they're not wanting to address things along the way. Not a good pattern, by the way. Paul is thinking carefully, thinking about how to lead, thinking about how to respond to all this muttering going on in the church, makes up his mind to do it a certain way. I value that careful thinking that's done. This is, these, are, these are parents who are saying, what do you think we should do about this particular problem? Should we meet that head on? Should we use a reward system? Do we spank it out of them? That's on the bad list today. I think you knew that. I, I, I'm still a fan. I don't mean beating or spanking out of anger. But please hear your pastor say, there's a time and a place. On that little place that God designed, little boys and little girls, to meet the spoon of correction, uh, there's a time and a place for this. There's a time and a place. So um, for all of the discussion of this, I'm giving you my opinion. Uh, and I think it's from the Lord. So it's in the Bible. Well, Paul, Paul has to make decisions about what he's going to do. Parents are thinking, what should we do? They're praying this over. And then they make a decision. Now, in this case, I think Paul, Paul, by sending a letter, he's able to express himself. And then by sending somebody else in, he, he says, I'm going to step back out of this. Maybe, maybe Paul's going to lose it this time. I don't know. He sends Titus, sends the young guy. Maybe he says, okay, somebody else, maybe somebody else's voice will be heard. He does that. Maybe I don't, it doesn't really say why. But Paul says, I made up my mind. He makes a hard call about this, and that's what they end up doing. Now, the letter, of course, that he sends, um, he he, he speaks of that in verse 4. I wrote you this letter. Uh, 
Um, it, it was a difficult thing to do, a difficult thing to receive. But if you look at my second bullet point here, oh, please, please understand this. Sometimes good leaders and, of course, good parents cause pain. But not because they love it, but because they must. And if you as a parent, to think of that specifically, again, not a parenting seminar particularly, but there's so much application of this. As I look at the Apostle Paul in his heart, he causes pain. Yes, he does. It's not because he thinks it's great but because he knows he has to. We must deal with this. We cannot let that go unchecked. This must be called on the carpet. I've got to address that. If we let that go, the fruit that that could bring would be terrible to reap. I don't just mean us. For this child to think that that's okay, this attitude is okay, this behavior is okay, man, no, we, 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 have, to, we have to act, we must. So there's pain in the moment. But, 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 but the good of the person involved, that's my fourth little bullet point, the ultimate good of those being led, it, it, whether or not that child um, of whatever age is happy with you today, I, I really fear this for a lot of parents today in this therapeutic um, age where we parent by social media. What a terrible idea, by the way, to take all of our parenting suggestions from like poll the audience for how we should do this. Let me just say nobody else out there knows either. And so the lowest common denominator just continues to fall. Um, my goodness sakes, um, don't want to address things because, well, no, 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 no. The ultimate good of those being led means that there must be pain involved here, and I'm going to address it even though it's hard to do. Now, that's a parenting application. It's interesting, I was speaking recently with a man um, who, who about 20 years ago, I want to say, was, was a pastor for a period of time. He's still a leader in some different settings, certainly as a family uh, person and business and so on, but he looks back at that he looks back at that, that four years, he, he, d- describing the situation, difficult, difficult situation, no question about it, different from you all. But how glad he was to get out of it. How glad he was four years later to flee into another job. Bite marks all over him, you know what I mean. I'm so done. Um, stories to be told. He was in seeking the ultimate good causing pain if necessary, not because we love it, but because we must. Now, this whole business of thinking about hard calls, I, I want to give an example of, of, of Paul here, certainly, as he pulls back, he says, I'm not going to go, I don't want to cause pain, I'm going to take a different route. I think taking a different route sometimes is a good thing. Um, a number of years ago, I, boy, I started off being a youth pastor, I did that for 20 years. Uh, that was a big part of my life. That is, it wasn't the only thing, a uh, part of my uh, agenda, my responsibility, but it's a big part of it for about 20 years. And I, I, have, I have wonderful memories of mission trips. They were incredible teaching opportunities. Hopefully we did some good somewhere in the world, though I'm not sure. But I know that such things were really good for the people that we took. And one in particular, I remember the big yellow bus. Some of you remember big yellow buses. Well, we had the big five-speed. One is a granny gear. You start in two. I, I'm still a certified bus driver. And that year, we, we took a bus load of 48 high school kids down to the Baja. Okay? So it's going to be a long drive. Let me tell you, the bus has a governor on the engine. It'll go 58 miles an hour. And if you're going to pass somebody going 55, it takes about 10 miles, as long as there's not a headwind. <laughs> So you spent a lot of time put- putting behind semis all the way from here to California and through the border. So it's miserable that way as a bus driver. You go, come on, can I pass them? No, you can go 58. Oh, terrible. Well, the air conditioning, of course, is put the windows down, and that's what it is from here to, here to California, sleeping on the floors of other churches and things like that. Good, good times because you're bonding, you're dealing with dynamics, and if you've ever been on such a trip, you know I left a number of things out right there. Um, <laughs> 48 kids and then a, a luggage vehicle and leaders and things like that. Okay, so we do this time of ministry down across the border. Uh, really hard, really, really hard. Hard, we were in some difficult areas. Hard Would have been hard for any, any group of adults as well. Um, difficult social circumstances, difficult kids, and, and a whole lot of things that were really hard. Kids did a great job, worn out. Absolutely worn out. It's time to go home. Load them on a, on a big yellow bus, come back up. And you know what, it, I don't know if you've ever crossed the border at Tijuana, you know, about 38 lanes wide, and it's hardly moving like this. It's going to be hours. You've got a big yellow bus, and everybody has to go to the bathroom. And I'm, there's just no place to go. They border people would yell at you. So you're, you're on this bus, 
And we got a late start for, I could tell you whose fault it was, but a variety of reasons. So you, get, you don't get out of there. We're going to Pasadena. That's where the church is. We're going to spend the night. But it's a ways. And I know, okay, we're supposed to get up there. Our goal was to be there by 6. It's 6 o'clock. We're just crossing the border. I'm sorry. There's no food here tonight. Dinner's when we get there. I'm really sorry y'all are hungry and tired and sweaty. And I'm really, really sorry. But we are going to Pasadena because that's the place we're going to spend the night. So we're, we're getting up, uh, you know, through the, the freeway. And, and I'm driving and all this. Uh, uh, some attitudes on the bus declined a bit. Was that kind? It was true. Some attitudes. There were some things about stopping and finding food because there's certainly food. And I knew, but we had to get to where we're going because somebody's meeting us there and we're already going to be late. So we are going to go there. I'll feed you then. Um, There were some things about bathroom breaks that were very infrequent um, and the agony that this was causing. I'm so sorry. Um, There were some other elements of that. I'll leave for another time in another uh, less sanitized setting. Um, but here's the thing. When we got to where we were going, it was pretty rugged. Kids are hungry. Kids are, you know, okay, this is not okay. Do you smack them now? Or do you smack them later? And I decided to draw on the example of God in 1 Kings chapter 19, where Isaiah had been through the battle with the prophets of Baal, and um, run away from Jezebel, who said, I'll have your head. And he's sitting underneath a broom tree, and he's lost all perspective. And he says, okay, God, take my life. It's better for me to be just, just take me home now. And God sends him food, tells him to take a nap, then sends him food and tells him to take a nap. And when all that's done, then he says, okay, let's talk a bit. I have 7,000 others who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. I'm going to send you a friend in the name of Elisha, by the name of Elisha. He's going to walk with you. So God deals with them the next day. And so I decided to take that example. So that night, bad attitudes and all, I made up my mind not to make another painful visit. And so here's what I did. I said, to, I had my leaders, little council of leaders. I said, okay, there, go there. Go, this is where you're going to stay. Leaders, I need you and you and you to take that van. Go find food. I don't care what you find. Bring food back. And you and you, I, I, I know this. Down that road, walking distance, take a right, and there's a cul-de-sac thing. There's a cold stone. That's an ice cream place. So I said, as soon as, the, as soon as you guys get back with dinner, feed them there, and then you guys, listen, take them for a walk, have an open tab at cold stone. Anything they want. Tomorrow we'll talk. And we did. The next morning, after they'd slept, eaten, et cetera, et cetera, that was a time to say, okay, folks, let's talk about yesterday. Pastor Jay loves you. This part was not okay. This isn't how we do it. This is what I need from you. And it's what I will have. We're still in Pasadena and we got a long drive. And this is not the way this is going to go from here to home. Do we understand each other? Okay. This was a making up my mind not to. So I'm saying in our leadership, in our homes, whatever place of leadership, Being a leader exercising authority doesn't mean you squash, doesn't mean you crack a whip, but there's a a wisdom here that Paul exemplifies in saying, okay, we're not going to ignore this. We're going to press into it. I call God as witness. I'm after your good. I really am. I'm not going to just not talk about this. I could have just gone home. Kids get on the bus and not talk about it. That would have been so unkind, wouldn't it? It would have been unkind if I let those attitudes go Without, I didn't yell. I wasn't angry. But I was very clear. So I'm saying, not authoritarian in the negative sense, yelling at them, authoritative. Oh, they heard me. They did. And this is the way it'll be. Okay? I understand. Now we're going we're gonna to go. Um, so authority. There's authority that goes with leadership. There's an authority that goes with parents. That's all leadership. Carried wisely, carried well. Sometimes, sometimes presses in, sometimes says, let's back it up. Let's deal with it this way. But ignoring it is not an option. Verses two and three, really, he's just saying, hey, if I took the hard route and you guys were miserable, and I was miserable too because the hard route isn't fun, um, man, we're not going to be able to cheer each other up. We're all just going to be lousy, lousy moods. It's going to be terrible. That's verses two and three. If I tell you and you're miserable, you're pained, you're not going to cheer me up and I'm not going to cheer you up. This is really exhausting work, he says. 
So leadership, that whole section, I'm just putting it under the heading, Christian leaders sometimes make hard calls and you apply it. Then I go, I go to verse four as kind of a final movement here. Christian leaders often pay a high price to lead and so do good parents. I really respect you guys that are in the, in the trenches right now with parents at home. I'm in the, the uh, empty nest, enjoy the grandkids and send them home stage that many of you are very familiar with. Oh, I keep them sometimes, but you know what I'm saying. They, they don't live here anymore. So when the attitudes get too bad, it's like, well, off we go. Um, <laughs> uh, more than once, I haven't gotten up from the table. And it's like, well, that's you. <laughs> this is great. I didn't have to talk about that. Uh, that's your job. You're my house, but it, you're a kid. So you, you, and they know, they know. Um, there's a high price. Parents, parents know this. It's exhausting. Kids don't always know it. It's exhausting to lead well. It's exhausting to parent well. So many times, it's so, it would be so much easier to ignore bad attitudes or bad behavior. Just ignore it, shut the door, walk away. So much easier. Good parents, please don't do that. Please don't do that. For the love of your kids and instilling the love of Jesus in their little hearts, don't run away from it. Don't run away. I don't mean yell. I don't mean that. Authoritative, not authoritarian. Not bad behavior on your part, but don't run away from that moment. To say, uh, uh-uh, no, 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 no. Here's here's the way it is. New boundaries. That's not the way it is. That's not the way the family works. Um, and this is this is what it is. Correct, rebuke, exhort. Paul would say with great patience and instruction. Yes, that's what we are to be. Second Timothy two. That's the way we must be in all of our contexts of leadership. Um, I, I mentioned here verse four to quote Guthrie, who's a writer. Um, the experience was gut wrenching heartbreaking and accomplished through a flood of tears. He uses three things. Each of them would stand alone to say this was a no good, lousy day. Okay? But he uses, he stacks three on top of each other to say how hard it was. Isn't that interesting? Any one of those taken alone would say it was rough. No, it was, it was affliction and anguish of heart and many tears, Paul says, on my part. This was very costly to me to address this. I, I hope you know. And this is, this is what parents would often say. You know this, parents. Uh, you, you deal with some big deal with your kids. Parents, you have stories. I know you do. Leaders in work settings, some of you have stories. I know you do. Where you did what was right, you addressed what had to be addressed, and you ended it so exhausting. You're exhausted. You collapse in your chair and say, oh, Lord. Oh. Um. Did I do that right? And you go to bed and you can't sleep. Did I do that right? Did I say that right? Should I have done this different? I wonder how they're going to respond. You, that's the wrestling. That's well-deserved wrestling. And if you're a leader, a parent, any of those categories, you know what I'm talking about. So well done when you engage that work. Well done on your sleepless nights. Well done, seriously. Well done when you wrestle with it and pray to the Lord that you did it right. Well done, good and faithful servants. Don't run away. Don't run away. Well, you see down, second bullet point there, Paul's not an iron man, neither is any other leader. To be a leader is to have emotions. To be a leader is to be hurt, to be misunderstood, to make hard calls, even to be disliked. If you're not willing to be disliked, at least temporarily, you're probably not going to lead well, not going to parent well. Think about that. This week I was looking for a book. You know, books. I, I have a thing about books. So many books, so little time. And I went over to the section where this book is always hiding. And then I remembered that I hadn't picked it up in a long time. So the recent book giveaway, I'd given it away. You know, here, have this book. And now I'm looking for it. But I knew the title and I found it on Amazon. I'm not going to buy it again because I've already read it. But I just wanted to be able to hold it up to you. So here, <laughs> uh, this is a book. It was written in the late 80s. Um, I read it late 80s, early 90s, um, written by a, a gal. The subtitle of the book is What You Always Wanted to Know About Your Minister But Didn't Know Whom to Ask. But the title is They Cry Too. I remember that. I read it 40 years ago. But what she's, what she's talking about, is, it's not just about ministers, my application of that, certainly that. But I'm, I'm just thinking about leadership in general. Um, Leadership takes, it is a taxing adventure for all of us. And if, again, you, anybody, anybody who influences others in your area of leadership, it is taxing and difficult. I know this. 
I know this very well. So press into it. I understand you're not an Iron Man. I understand the emotion involved. Uh, the gentleman I was speaking with about remembering his, his difficult season as a pastor for four years, 20 years ago, the, the, the wounds were very close to the surface even yet 20 years later. Chewed up and split out. Way too much uh, lore about young pastors right out of seminary who end up in solo pastor positions, spit out, chewed up and spit out by demanding congregations. That's happened to more than one. I'm grateful we have a place, a good place for younger guys coming in to learn and grow. Really, really grateful for that. Well, all of this to say, Paul's heart is to heal, not to hurt. He doesn't delight in hurting anybody, but he's unwilling to run from something that would be good for them. So I'm saying to us, good leaders, Christian leaders, seek the ultimate good of those they serve. They make hard calls at times, indeed. They often pay a high price to lead. And if you are in any place where you influence anybody else in any setting, call it what you like, Christian ministry, home, business, I'm saying be a good leader. Fulfill your calling. Little boys and little girls, fulfill your calling, moms and dads, to love them well, to love them well toward Jesus, including boundaries. Love them well. Love them well. Lead well. Give you a few things here. Uh, second little bullet point there under responding to God's word. I would just commend you to, to, to do this this week in those sermon, oh, sorry, community group notes that are attached to your sermon notes. I direct you to Ephesians 6 verse 4 addressed to dads. Uh, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I'm inviting hundreds of us this week Uh, in our community groups. Hundreds of us are in community groups. I'm inviting us to think about what it means to raise kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Please be very, very specific when you talk about that. What does that mean? It's not a theory. It's a doing. So what is it? What does it mean to raise children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? All of this under the big umbrella of the gospel. We need Jesus. We need him. We need him. Christ on the cross bearing our sins. Jesus sent from the Father, Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. We need him. Would you stand with me? I want to pray for us as we head out. And you pray for me in the next couple weeks till I see you again a couple weeks from now. Father, I thank you so much for the morning. This example of the Apostle Paul as he does throughout this letter so transparent about his heart. Oh, Father, thank you for the example that he is in these areas and pray that we would pick it up as well and be those kinds of leaders in whatever place you have placed us to influence and lead others. All of this for the glory of Christ and the good of others. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.